Why would I want to be a part of something that oppresses women? In my new life, working at a church and starting a Masters of Divinity at Tyndale, I felt unusually disempowered. I knew I was fortunate to be working at a church that welcomed women in leadership. It emphasized couples doing ministry together. Tyndale is also a seminary that has a female president, a female provost, and a number of female faculty. But I noticed that in church, it was hard to find the kind of women I saw in the business world. Women who exuded confidence and conviction. There was the odd female preacher on Sunday, but for the most part, it was a man on stage. And though no one was personally oppressing me, I was aware that there are still plenty of Christians who think that women should be silent. Women should stay in the little corner at the back of the church or in the basement with the kids. And why would I want to be a part of something like that? Tyndale University presents Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good. Deconstruction is the word commonly used for the process of critically dissecting your Christian beliefs. For some in the church, deconstruction is kind of the new bad word, uh, backsliding or apostasy or heresy. Churches tend to assume that deconstruction is an intellectual issue, but it's intertwined with all these other layers of what makes us human. What makes up a person is things like their cognitive layers, right? Their emotional layers, their behavioral layers, and their relational layers. This podcast follows my personal journey through deconstruction. Along the way, we're going to chat with professors, pastors, psychologists, researchers, historians, and artists. But I was still really struggling with the fact that if I was wrong, I might be going to hell. We'll explore the questions so many of us have about Christianity. The stuff you probably didn't feel comfortable bringing up on Sunday at youth group or small group. I'm your host and guide for this journey, Anita Wing Lee. When I jumped full-time into the blogging world at age 23, and until I left at 26, I was surrounded by an exuberant community of female entrepreneurs. I found my way into these massive Facebook groups where there were thousands of women also trying to build businesses and brands. You should double down on your ambition. I love that you have serious ambitions. It was a safe space where women could ask questions and talk about our fears, insecurities, dreams, and doubts. As a female creative, a free-spirited traveler, and a budding online entrepreneur, I had found my tribe. I could ask any question in one of these groups, and 20 women would reply and give me encouragement. Together, we seemed unstoppable. But this wasn't the first time I walked alongside women I admired. Even before I discovered this online community, when I was an undergrad in business school, it was easy to find strong, bold women. There were plenty of female professors, mentors, and female classmates who were getting top-notch jobs. We walked the halls of the business school, young women in suits, like we were going to run the world. There was a sense that our presence mattered, and there were plenty of other women who wanted to support us. 
So while no one at church ever said I couldn't be in leadership, I was always aware of this gender imbalance. It was one thing that made me want to keep my distance from Christianity. Why would I want to be associated with a religion that considers me a second-class citizen? Even at Catch the Fire Church, where there was space for women, I watched time and time again as a couple was introduced as a guest speaker, and inevitably the wife would get off stage and sit down while her husband preached. Men were just more vocal and more present. As a female working in that environment, I couldn't help but see the extra challenges that women had to deal with. For younger couples, if the husband was the pastor, the wife would inevitably get pregnant, have kids, and have to drop off, being on staff entirely. The massive conferences that we organized, conferences that brought in thousands of people, still had primarily male keynote speakers. And of course, they were white. Because we did, and if we could, anybody can. You know, like, if we can do it, anybody can. That, that is all about Jesus, the whole thing. The whole, the whole thing is about Jesus. And no judgment towards white men. I simply started to realize that the Christian message was always coming to me through the voice of a white man. And once I started paying attention to this, I saw it everywhere, including at Tyndale. Out of the 23 courses that I've taken so far, only two or three of them have been taught by a female professor. I went to check the bibliography of the last few papers I wrote and saw that 90% of my sources were written by men. And while I happen to be in a cohort of students that has more females than males, there's always this feeling that we're going to have to be the underdogs if we're working in the Christian world. I'm aware that Tyndale University isn't deliberately trying to only promote the voices of white men, but they're also working within a system that for a long time has primarily elevated those voices and change happens slowly. All of these things started to weigh on me. I couldn't shake this feeling that in Christianity, I was more oppressed than when I lived and worked outside of Christianity. Like there was an army of white men who ran Christian circles and they would always be the gatekeepers. And so even if I found a church that believed in having female leadership, I would always be the minority. It almost felt like I could have more impact in the world being a leader outside of the church than being one inside. Why would I want to be a part of something that's so backwards and is going to make me less of myself, less of the person I felt God created me to be? The thing that felt deeply wrong to me was that in Christianity, there were people silencing women in the name of God. They were saying that God wanted you to be silent. God wanted you to submit to men, and God wanted you to not be part of church leadership. A part of me wanted to respond, how dare you? At the same time that I was also wondering, is that actually what God says? To probe deeper into this issue, I sat down with Dr. Beth Green, the provost and chief academic officer of Tyndale University. She came from Oxford University and has some of the best education that this world can offer. So Dr. Green, what does the Bible really say about women? The word, what does the Bible 
really say about women, that word really trips me up a lot because I think the Bible isn't there primarily to tell us about leadership or women or, I don't know, pick your topic, being a vegetarian. The Bible's there to tell us about who God is. And if you start with that kind of um, approach, you begin to realise that woven together in, in this beautiful story is this amazing arc kind of revealing in different genres who God is, the creation that he made, who he loves within it. And once you start reading that, what I found is I'm less inclined to treat it as a recipe book, to go to the little section that tells me, you know, how do I as a woman uh, live or be? Because once I've got God in place, then it changes how I think about who I am and who others are. And so in telling us about God, the Bible also tells us about our purpose as humankind. Um, and suddenly the distinctions become far less important, both between us as men and women, but also between humankind and creation, because you begin to realise that they're all part of what brings worship, what brings glory. Um, they're all part of the loving relationship that God has. Dr. Green brings up a good point. Christianity is not just about being pro-women or pro-equality. It's about something so much bigger. Who we are as gendered human beings is secondary to who we are as God's creation. So in a way, if I get fixated on how these white men look down on women, I'm missing the main point, which is that God loves me and created me. And if I really understood that, it wouldn't matter so much what other men thought. But there's a lot more to this. So I sat down with Reverend Dr. Marilyn Draper, a professor of practical theology at Tyndale University, a church planter, and an ordained minister. She explained to me all the different ways that women are present in the Bible. They're not afterthoughts, they're a part of the story. We tend to go immediately to 1 Timothy 2 and what they can't do, or 1 Corinthians 14, women can't say. These are the parts of the Bible where it says that women should dress modestly and be quiet and submit. I think what we need to be doing is putting women in the whole context of the biblical message. And that really starts from Genesis right through to Revelation. So there really isn't a short answer in two minutes or less. I actually teach a 12-week course called women and men in ministry. And I feel like we just barely grazed the surface um, over the 12 weeks, but I'll do the best I can <laughs> and give you a short answer. In Genesis, women and men are definitely created as equal. And that's very clear in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. Uh, and it appears that domination and patriarchy appear at the time of the fall. Um, and in Genesis 3, that's where we come across the phrase, he shall rule over you. And then in Genesis 4, it's interesting, we often don't go to Genesis 4, but then in Genesis 4, that's where you see violence erupting, that's where you see the patriarchy emerging, and that's the first time you actually see Lamech referenced to having two wives. So there's a definite, once the fall begins, women's position definitely changes after that. And then what you see is as the story unfolds, it is definitely a a male-oriented story, but women just keep appearing. It's like God saying, but I, I haven't forgotten the women. Haven't. So Abraham is accompanied by Sarah. And, um, Isaac is accompanied by Rebecca. And then I think it's really significant that when you come to the book of Exodus, it starts with the, the patriarchal family and the list of the 12 tribes. 
But then as the story gets introduced, it's the women. You have the midwives who stand up to Pharaoh. So you have the midwives standing up against power. You have Miriam, you have Moses's family, you have the princess of, right? So it's very much a female oriented story. And that I think sort of sets the trajectory so that you just see women appearing again and again and again. Then as we look at the New Testament, women are still there. If we just jump into the New Testament, then obviously we're set, being set a stage with a whole new um, appreciation of women when we come to Mary and Elizabeth um, and, uh, and the birth of Christ. I think f the book of Luke can be really, really key when we think about how women are perceived in the church and, and in those stories of Jesus. Luke is, is really fascinating because every time he introduces a story about a man, almost there's a story about a woman, right? There's a, a young man who dies and, there's a, and is raised to life. There's a young woman who dies and is raised to life. There's a man who's healed. There's a woman who's healed. And right in the middle of Luke, Luke 15, that's the chapter where we often talk about the lost, right? The, the good shepherd that seeks the lost sheep, um, the good father and the lost sons, but we also have the good woman and the lost coins. And what is Luke doing? Luke is actually comparing God to a woman. And that would have, I think, caused a lot of gasps to the listeners there. But just how prominent women and the things that women do are and how important they are. And then, of course, um, in Luke 8, we read that women actually are supporting the ministry of Jesus. And that's key. Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. And there's Every indication that women were part of that group being sent out disciples, we have women at the tomb. Women were the first ones to respond that Jesus was indeed resurrected. Once again, um, not a normal, you wouldn't normally put women as the witnesses, but a lot of the, the gospel, um, the gospel narratives make them front and center in terms of those Easter stories. And then, um, and then we come to Acts. And then we see women taking leadership in the early church. So we have Priscilla, who is a teacher. We have um, Lydia, leader of the church in Philippi. And then we come to the book of Romans, where we have Phoebe. And she is actually presented as the deacon, as the leader who comes and brings the letter to the church in Rome. So then she would interpret that letter to the church in Rome and explain to them what Paul was actually saying to them. And then we have a whole list in Romans 16 of all the women leaders that were involved in the church that Paul was um, expressing his, his favor towards. And we have Junia, who's actually listed among the as outstanding among the apostles. So I think when you follow that trajectory, that gives you a very different view of how women are actually perceived in the biblical story. That's the first time I've ever heard someone give such a thorough and comprehensive picture of how central women are to the biblical story. So God does include us and care about us. What then are we supposed to do about those passages that talk about how women should stay quiet and submit to their husbands, the ones that are often hung over women's head like they are universal laws? So then when you read, 1 Corinthians 14 or 1 Timothy 2, where 
there seems to be an implication that women shouldn't speak or women shouldn't lead, it causes us to say, okay, what is Paul really saying? Because he obviously isn't saying that women are to be silent when we're seeing example after example where women aren't silent. And he's obviously not saying that women can't be in leadership because here he's been promoting women who've been in all the different areas of leadership. So there must be something else. And often there seems to be this undertone that women are actually the example. So I really do think the problem is that we take those verses totally out of context. And then we just try to make those words really literal and it just doesn't make any sense at all. It's nice to know that the Bible acknowledges and honors the value of women, but what are we supposed to do about church? And to make it more tangible, my female classmates started bringing up issues that they were experiencing in their own churches. For my Church in the City program, we meet once a week, and at the start of every class, we do a group debrief for an hour. During this time, everyone gives a little bit of an update, what they're struggling with, what's going on in their lives, and it was in these group sharings that the topic of male leadership came up multiple times. It seemed like women have to constantly be aware of the power dynamics in their work relationships. Both Dr. Draper and Dr. Green have had to deal with real-life situations where they navigated this. So I asked Dr. Draper, what are we supposed to do? I think each situation has to be dealt uh, with wisdom. Uh, there are times that I think we should just get angry. <laughs> and we should just simply say this is injustice and this is wrong and stand up and, and yell and scream and, and say, we're not going to stand for this anymore. There are other times that when I've actually sat down with one person and it's just been walking through a passage or giving a bit of encouragement or sometimes asking the right question. I, I really think it depends on each man and what's, what's appropriate for each man. And there are some conversations that I have actually just walked away from because I thought there is, there's, we're at an impasse and we're not coming to an agreement. There's no, there's no reason just to carry this on. Dr. Draper told me the story of a time that she and her husband were sitting with a prominent Canadian theologian and author. It was in the 90s in the Tyndale cafeteria. This theologian listed all the reasons why he just couldn't fully accept women in leadership. He believed women could do other things, but there were some lines. So the three of them talked, cajoled, argued, reasoned, and ended up parting ways. A few years later, this theologian wrote a book supporting feminism, and he had completely changed his mind. And she realized over time, people's minds do change as they continue to. Um, look at the reason. So I'm my I am hopeful. I am somewhat optimistic that we will reach a point where we realize it's more important that men and women work together. Uh, right now, I I sense that the problems facing the church are far greater. In order for us to determine how to move forward as the church in Canada, we're going to realize we need all hands on deck. And if all hands on deck mean all sorts of different hands, we need, we need men and women to work together in order to come to some creative solutions of what it means for the church to actually be the church in Canada in 2020, 2030, moving forward. So every situation requires wisdom, discernment, and patience, which can be exhausting. Sometimes I just wish the world was different. If God created women and Jesus loves women, then what is our problem? I long for the day when I can walk into a church 
pick up the church brochure, flip to the page about the leadership team, and not feel a little disheartened that it's a page full of men's faces. But Dr. Green offered me another way to look at this. When I look at the biblical story, I realize there's always a system. There's always a context. It's always broken. And so um, it's very tempting to think the grass is greener on the other side. The point is that God is there with you in the story you're in. The point is not to sort of get beamed out of it into the Christian utopia. We're working now to bring the kingdom of God in and it looks nothing like we think kingdoms look and it looks nothing like um, the sort of, <laughs> you know, those really cheesy Victorian paintings of heaven and the angels and, and we're all sort of longing for, I don't know, when things will be easy and I, I don't think we're ever promised easy. We're promised health and fruitfulness um, and ways to begin investing in that now, but you're not going to be remaking or joining God's work of remaking if you're constantly looking to run out of the context or the story in which he's placed you. I know a thing or two about running away, having spent years traveling the world, and I know it's not a long-term solution. And systems do change. Tyndale University actually just celebrated a record enrollment. 58% of seminary students were female in 2021. So for all the Christians who think that women shouldn't be in leadership, clearly there are others who openly support women. But there's often an extra dynamic that women have to deal with. So how have I overcome them? One, I did actually change denominations. Uh, when my husband and I were in ministry, we decided that if we were actually going to get ordained, we wanted to be ordained, ordained together. And so we, we shifted to a denomination that would ordain us together. And I, I think in the, the they, somebody was saying that um, we were the first couple to ever be ordained together in an ordination ceremony. So that was kind of fun. I, I think, too, in terms of the denominational choice, right, there were, there were times that you thought, no, we'll, we'll stay here in the hopes that we can bring forth change. And then recognition, no, for us to do what we actually feel called to do, we need to move. And so there's a, a lot of, of trusting God in the process with that. And, uh, and yeah, you're right, allowing ourselves not to have that burden. I don't have to change the mind of everybody that I meet. Listening to Dr. Draper, I started to feel really grateful that it's not up to me to fight men or fight a system. This whole issue is something that God is working in. But even though I was raised in, in a congregation that didn't accept women, there's also the work of God's Spirit as well. I would, they didn't know what to do with me. If I had been a young male, I would have been sent along the pastoral route because I was female. They kept sending me overseas, thinking, well, obviously you should be an overseas missionary. <laughs> so I would go overseas and then I would come back and I'd say, no, my heart is back in Canada. And then I'd go overseas again and then I would come back. But every time I came back, they would give me a whole evening service. In those days, you had Sunday evening services. And they would give me a whole evening service to share because there was a recognition that God was at work. So even where I shouldn't have had a voice, there were times that God, I think, just didn't keep me encouraged. 
actually gave me opportunities to have a voice. Um, I had other women mentors who have come along and who have said, we see this in you. Um, but I've actually had more male mentors who have come along and have said, yeah, can I find a place? And I, and I have to give a lot of credit to my husband who has just continually stepped aside to let me do what I needed to do. So what would you say to a woman who's struggling with this right now, whether to stay in a church or leave a church? So when I think about advice that I have for women into ministry, my first thought was pursue that call. And then I went, no, no, you don't pursue the call, you pursue Jesus. Because that's really, and and so I would give the same advice to a young man sitting in my office as I would to a young woman. But knowing Jesus with all your heart and being committed to following Jesus, whatever that looks like, um, and then being committed to community and finding people who will encourage and support and mentor. What I hear is that there's freedom in trusting the way God made me. Perhaps it's not my job to try to change everyone's mind. It's my job to be who God created me to be and to walk in that identity and let him take me where he wants to take me. If he wants to give me a mic on a stage, he can do that. If he wants to put me on a podcast to tell my story, he's done that. Either way, I'm finding a lot more peace in life, just trusting that God knows what he's doing instead of trying to fight these systems or forces. Dr. Beth Green puts it so eloquently like this. To see in the Lord Jesus just that wonderful image of God's loving kindness, to say my story makes sense when I put it in the context of Jesus's bigger story and you know the body that I have however it looks even if I don't think it's Instagrammable um, the mind that I have the relationships that I have the ability I have you know to bear life and bring forth fruitful relationships I have all of that because Jesus made it and that means it's good so I just wish we could get beyond, and I don't think this is just women, but it's very exaggerated in our culture at the moment If for women. All those sorts of really sort of skewed, you know, I have to look like this, or I have to be empowered this way, or I have to enjoy certain things. I just wish we could get beyond all, all that and enjoy the diversity. Um, so, um, Driving here, <laughs> there was a woman, I feel I couldn't help because I don't know anything about horses and horse boxes, but she had broken down by the side of the road and she didn't really need my help. She was rocking it, you know, I don't know what she was doing, but sorting out whatever the mechanical fault was. And I just thought, that's not me. I'm not outdoorsy. Don't know what to do with a horse. I'm much better off in a library. But Jesus made me this way, made her that way. We both reflect the goodness of God in this beautiful world. Let's just get on with what we do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's our purpose. Always our purpose is to bring Jesus glory and make him known because that's how we become fully ourselves. That's how we become fully ourselves. Now that sounds like something I can get behind. What does it look like to become fully Anita? 
Maybe I can't change the way certain men or women will think. And I don't think I'm called to change the opinions of all the men on earth so that they'll accept Christian women in leadership. I'm the kind of person who would rather put my energy into promoting what I love instead of bashing what I hate. So when it comes to being a woman in the world, I get to make choices. I compare the portrait of womanhood that Christianity offers me to what the world offers me. The world gives me all kinds of ideas for what I could be or do. I can look a certain way, make a certain amount of money to become a certain something. But when I look at what God offers me, the opportunity to become fully myself, I think that's a route I'd rather take. In episode 4, Dr. Victor Shepard talked about identifying the difference between what's essential, what's at the core, and what's at the periphery. Maybe this is one of those opportunities to separate something that's on the periphery from what's at the core. The core of Christianity, as I'm starting to figure out, is not about celebrating women or Black Lives Matter or Asian Lives Matter. Those things can be a part of the way that someone expresses their faith, and I do think they're a part of God's heart. But the core of Christianity is about God. A God who loves me, who loves this world, who doesn't oppress me, and wants to set me free. Hello, and are you recording? Hi, and welcome to the unpolished section of the podcast, where I sit down with Dr. James Tyler Robertson, and we unpack this episode a bit, ask some questions. All right. Boop. There's the seven-minute timer is off. Oh, good, good episode, Anita. Well done. How do you, how do you feel? I feel like we got somewhere with this. This is a topic that's very daunting, purposely saved it until episode five. It's also a touchy topic for a lot of people. I think men in church might not know how to address this. Women only talk about it behind closed doors. But most of the women I know who are actively involved in church deal with this in some way or another. We just don't know how to deal with it. Um, And also sometimes you don't know what your church even thinks. Um, All we can see are existing leadership teams, and sometimes those are just, you know, it's just who's available to be hired. Mm, Good point. Well, thank you for bringing it from behind closed doors out into the light, if such a thing applies to a podcast. What what strikes me, because I I really don't have much to comment in this this seven minutes, but just for myself, too, I remember as, as we started to listen to this, probably in the first five or six minutes of this episode... I was like, well, hang on, what about this? And you know, sometimes we do that for editing purposes, like, oh, maybe the music should go a little bit longer. So part of it was that, but also just a bigger part of like, well, how do we look at it this way? How do we look at it that way? And and you kept saying to me, like, just hang on, I'm, I'm going to address that. So in a way, I guess it was somewhat mansplaining your own episode to you. For that, I do actually sincerely apologize. In In all sincerity, all joking aside, as the episode went on, I just was riveted. Uh, like listening to what Dr. Draper and Dr. Green were saying, these are um, good, bad, or otherwise. This is just not my experience of leadership, ministry, Christianity, life. And it is so powerful and frankly exciting to hear this perspective so 
articulately displayed by yourself and like I said, by Dr. Draper, Dr. Green, and then all the numerous uh, women mentors I've had sort of thinking back in all the different ways in which they've communicated this to me as well. So that's it. <laughs> that's, it, was, it. It was a fantastic episode. And thank you for opening our ears, my ears, um, to this. Fun fact, when Jamie and I were reviewing this episode, we spent a good like 30 to 45 minutes just trying to get past the first like three minutes because we wanted to make sure that, and, and I want to make sure that this is covered well as well. This isn't about things that Tyndale is doing right or wrong or things that churches are doing right or wrong. There's just something much bigger going on and I'm only one voice, but every single voice counts in this. And Jamie, if it makes you feel any better, I actually kept a clip from a previous interview and conversation we had where, you know, you had some pretty good thoughts that actually Dr. Draper went on to reiterate in the episode. So I'll roll this clip. For me, one of the most important traditions that's been changing in the West in the latter part of the 20th century, of course, is the role of women in leadership and ministry. And for me, this is an important tradition that needs to keep changing and, and evolving because one, women have been influencing Christianity the whole time, just whether or not their voices were given the, the credit they were due. I think back to the earliest, I think back to Jesus. And I mean, Jesus' first missionary is the Samaritan woman uh, at the well. Uh, his first evangelist, the ones who took the message of his resurrection to uh, the apostles were the women. And I've always figured good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. As the church did get more involved in Roman culture and, and the variety of other powerful cultures of its day, it did unfortunately inherit the views of women that these cultures had versus the other way around. Because to be frank, we haven't caught up to Jesus yet in his attitude towards and treatment of women. So I am happy that the, the tradition uh, and the doctrines of, of many denominations since about the 1960s and 1970s in the West have sought to include women more in prominent places of leadership as theologians, as church planters. Well, okay. <laughs> Thank you for that, Anita. Um, I'm glad you think I didn't at least come across sounding like an idiot or anything like that. And and it's true. That is, it, historically, this is all something that I have said repeatedly and I truly believe. So so thank you for uh, for sharing that clip. And and I won't even be upset that you call me Jamie on the podcast. It's supposed to be Dr. Robertson. <laughs> so, many, so many times. I'm kidding. I don't, you know, I don't actually care. Um, okay, well, can I... Can I throw a question your way on this one? Yeah, go for it. I, I was really riveted by your question to Dr. Draper. Uh, and then, of course, Dr. Green uh, summed it up beautifully as well. But the issue of, of um, a woman going into leadership now, is this some, how do we, how, how, I guess, would, do you address that for yourself just personally in this moment after you've gone all through this, this research, putting this episode together? And, and how would you, what would you like the listeners, uh, male and female, to take away from that question? We have two minutes, by the way. Oh, no. Okay, so this podcast, which was 30 minutes, you could think like, I have been processing this issue for at least four years from the time I started working at the church and then going to Tyndale. And hearing Dr. Draper's response of pursuing Jesus and, you know, trusting that God's going to give you mentors and God's going to find ways to encourage you. That has really been my experience. There have been people who have come into my life that just when I needed, it felt like God showing me that 
yeah, you know, what are the chances that you'd end up in a seminary with a female president? I didn't even do my research. Um, what are the chances that you would end up in a church that even though it's not perfect, it's at least supportive. And for me, these have been small ways that God has kept me encouraged. And I hope that listening to this podcast is a way that God has also encouraged you. And whether you're male or female, I hope it just shows you that God is at work and we get to be a part of his grace and a big thing that's just kept me going now is I think all I got to do is just keep showing up. And to be honest, there's a couple of people who've just said that to me. He's like, if you just keep showing up, um, God will open doors for you. Don't even try to push down doors. You don't need to like fight for a voice. Um, God will give you the voice. And, and he really has created that space for me. So now I'm just like, okay, I'll just keep walking and keep trusting God. And it feels way better than trying to push down doors. Um, I'm way less like angry and frustrated. It's like, you know what? I'm here. I am God. You do your thing. And I've watched time and time again, how I've been in roles or I've been with companies and completely outside of my control. I watch like jobs and departments change and then doors open up for me. So now I just leave it up to God. Mm. I don't know how great was, uh, like, I love Dr. Green's analogy of, like, uh, the woman on the side of the road, and she's good at this, I'm good at this, let's just keep on doing how we were created. Uh, and then Dr. Draper's, like, that biblical, systematic revealing of the trajectory of women in the story of God. How good was that? That's my question. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a good example of the things that I am really learning in seminary that I wouldn't just learn at church because, you know, she did that in seven minutes. But how long did it take her? How long would it take um, me to learn that if I didn't get to be a part of this podcast? So I'm grateful for this. Oh, just and in time. there it is. Saved by the bell. The last question I was going to ask was, can a man consider himself a feminist? But I guess we don't have time for that. Bye. Yes. You can. Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good is a production of Tyndale University. Visit our website for more information.